Welcome into the Power Alley. If you're familiar with the podcast, I'm your host, Pat Melicaro. As we begin to wind down the month of January, it's almost hard to believe that we're a little over two months away from the start of the 2022 season for the Buffalo Bisons when they welcome in the Iowa Cubs for a 105 first pitch on April the 5th. There's a lot of news and notes that will take place between now and then, and we look forward to bringing that to you as we get closer to the 2022 season. But before we do that, I thought it'd be another good opportunity to take a look back at the 2021 year. And what better person to do that with us than Brian Frank, the creator of the Herd Chronicles. If you've joined us in the past, you know Brian has discussed many historical moments in the Bison's franchise history and the history of Buffalo baseball in general. And this time, I thought it'd be good to chat with Brian about the historic season, not only that the Bison's had last year, playing in Trenton, New Jersey, before returning home and clinching the Northeast Division Championship, the first ever in the new AAA East, but also thought it'd be fun to chat with Brian about his Fan of the Year Award, a much-deserved honor that he received on Fan Appreciation Night this past September. And as we chat with Brian here, that's where we start our conversation, as Brian was named the 2021 Fan of the Year, joining a great group of Bison fans from the past that have won the award, and Brian had a chance to just reflect on that moment at Salem Field this past season. Brian, thanks for taking some time for joining us here again today. Uh, it's the middle of the offseason, but it's always fun to talk baseball with you. And before we get started about a lot of the excitement that happened at the ballpark this past year, uh, one of the moments I really want to get your thoughts on are, are when you were named the fan of the year this past year for, for the Bisons, um, for folks that don't maybe weren't out at the ballpark that night, uh, the final weekend of the of the home schedule, team awards were announced. Did you have any idea that you were going to be named the Joe Byron Fan of the Year? I had no idea. It was a complete surprise. Um, hadn't didn't expect it. Hadn't thought about it. And uh, and the team completely surprised me. They didn't tell me in advance. And all of a sudden, it, I look up at the scoreboard, and there I am. And then. Uh, Brad Bisping came over and presented me with the award and uh, really honored um, when, you know, when I look at the fans who have won it over the years, it's really an honor. And uh, in fact, the first winner of the, of the fan of the year award was Joe Overfield. So that, you know, I knew that and that just a tremendous honor and complete shock. And I know when we were talking about it amongst ourselves in the office and what to do with that award this year. It seemed like a no brainer for somebody like yourself who chronicles the history of the team uh, as a steward of Buffalo baseball, not just the Bisons, but the history of Buffalo baseball. So you mentioned Joe Overfield and, you know, some of the great names that have, have won that award before, um, you know, it, it's kind of special in and of itself, but then to add that layer to it uh, is pretty neat too. It really, really was. And, and I mean, it would be special any year, but this year in particular with, with Major League Baseball being in Buffalo and the Blue Jays and that whole aspect of it and the interest that I have and the history of Major League Baseball in the city just made it even that much more special. And as we look back at what was two seasons, a year, a season and a half of the Blue Jays playing in Buffalo, uh, last time we talked, the Blue Jays were still in Buffalo and uh, we didn't quite know if the Bisons would come back uh, to downtown Buffalo this year, but they did. And what was that relationship with maybe former players that were now part of the Blue Jays, members of the coaching staff, different different aspects that you were able to, um, you know, really 
get involved in and help tell the story of the Blue Jays in Buffalo? Yeah, I was able to um, go to almost every game. I think I missed like two in 2020. Um, but I was at, at, able to go as a member of the media and participate in the um, pregame and postgame press conferences, which was amazing. And then go down on the field and take photographs during batting practice and, and got to document so much of it. Um, a lot of it, which I'm share, sharing on the Herd Chronicles. Um, one really cool aspect, the last, it was the last day of the Blue Jays from Buffalo. I had a chance to talk with Charlie Montoyo because I was planning on writing a story about his connections with Buffalo, uh, for an article for the Herd Chronicles. And I expected, because I knew that he was the relay man on the, the big play in the 1991 American Association Championship uh, between Denver and Buffalo. And so I knew that that would come up and it did. And he, he described it great with me. And, uh, you know, the situation for any fans who may not remember, uh, game four of the 1991 American Association Championship and uh, in Denver and Buffalo was not only trailing nine to nothing going into the ninth inning, there were being no hit by Denver starter Greg Matthews. Then they staged a rally for the ages, ended up cutting the, the game, the score to nine six, had the bases loaded with Greg Tubbs at the plate. He lined the ball uh, down the line Greg Edge was at first the tying run and he came around and was allegedly out at the plate to end the game. Uh, Pete Weber had kind of the iconic call on that and thought he was safe and a lot of all the Bisons thought he was safe, obviously. And uh, Charlie was actually playing third base that day, but um, he saw the shortstop uh, being kind of slow to go out and get the cutoff. So he said, well, I'm going to take it then. And he ran out, got it and threw home. And uh, he was saying like he still jokes about that play with, with Mike Bushkowski because <laughs> Mike, of course, says, oh, you know, he was safe on that. And, and Charlie, he had a good laugh about it. But he told me some other things that I didn't know as well. Um, he, Charlie Montoya actually hit his first triple-A home run in Buffalo at what today is called Salem Field. And um, it, it kind of had an interesting story behind it because he uh, he hit it in an April game. It was a cold, rainy April game. And they ended up postponing the game in the second inning. So they didn't finish the game until August when Denver returned here. And so he ended up hitting nine more home runs during that span from April, August. But that home run number one was kind of held in limbo and didn't uh, technically count until the game was completed in August. So you know, he had that story too, but he really uh, feels a close tie to Buffalo from all the years he played here and then managed at Durham. And um, he was saying how much he enjoys the Puerto Rican community here on the west side of Buffalo and makes a point of always going to the Niagara Cafe when he's in town for uh, Puerto Rican food. And he really enjoys the city and looks at it fine, fondly. You know, you mentioned the play and we talked to Pete Weber over the summer as well. And he, he kind of has the same reaction as you know, I was the bat boy in, in the Bison's dugout during the 0-1 playoffs when uh, Chris Coast was thrown out of the game in, in game five against Scranton Wilkesbury. And he kind of has a reaction that I, I still have to this day about uh, Coasty being thrown out and then his spot coming up in the order so many times in that 17-inning game. Those are the moments that just kind of stick with you. And, you know, I'm, that's something Pete still has never been able to get over. 
Yeah, it's funny because that that play, you know, like it was on the road in Denver, but it seems like it's such a, a big part of, of Bison uh, history and kind of the collective consciousness of Bison fans from that time. And it's from listening to Pete's call, like, you know, he, he, it's just such a memorable, iconic uh, call that, you know, so just plays like that are, are what make, you know, baseball, make baseball fans. Oh, no, no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, good or bad, it's a lot of great history uh, that, that has been had in Buffalo and with the team in general. And just, you know, as you're telling that story, I'm looking in your background and I see the Tim Russert bobblehead and some of those great moments, uh, including yeah. Tim Russert Day at the ballpark and, and things that we'll remember where uh, Big Russ it was involved in it and Luke, uh, Tim's son, were all involved in that moment and, and the pride that they showed in, in being at uh, the ballpark that day. Yeah, that was that was a special day. I think if uh, I think it was Father's Day, if, if memory serves me correct, and uh, I actually got the bobblehead autographed, and I was there with my parents that day, and uh, we got uh, Tim Russert's book signed by all three of them. So um, Tim Russert and Big Russ and Luke all signed the book. Um, yeah, so it's it's memories like that, and you know I know Tim Russert had wonderful memories of going to games back at Offerman Stadium and watching Luke Easter, and he wrote about that in his book. So, yeah, wonderful memories. And so many memories were created by folks at, at the ballpark this past year. And uh, just talking to someone the other day, it, it strikes me that they said, oh, they came to a couple Blue Jay games and how much fun it was not only to, to see the Blue Jays in Buffalo, but how as the season went on at Salem Field, people may forget when, when the ballpark first opened to fans, limited capacity, uh, several restrictions were still in place uh, to keep everybody safe. But as the homestands went on, more and more fans were allowed at the ballpark. And you, you really got that feel of, you know, when I when I talk to people about Friday nights at the ballpark and that big league feel, it really had that, uh, not only because the Blue Jays were here, but so many people were able to take part in those games by the time they were done. It sure did. And, and you could feel the energy of the crowd. It was just wonderful and watching people just walk around before the game just kind of taking it all in and getting there early to watch batting practice and it, it was kind of sad back in 2020 when fans weren't allowed in the in this stadium and sometimes when I would go there as, as a member of the media and walk in and there would be fans just kind of walking around outside the stadium outside just to kind of hear the sounds and maybe take some pictures outside and stuff and it like broke my heart at the time so I was like oh I wish they could go in you know so badly and the fact that they were finally able to do it in this year was just wonderful and uh, like you said it was just a tremendous atmosphere at the park. And I feel like we knew there were a lot, uh, several Blue Jay fans in Western New York, but maybe it's just because the Blue Jays were here stateside, but it seemed like every Blue Jays fan from a 90, 100 mile radius came to a game and got to experience it at Salem Field and say they were there for one of those games. Yeah, and all the, the Buffalo Blue Jay shirts and, and everything that people are wearing was, was wonderful. And yeah, I think, you know, we've had the affiliation now for a while. I mean, there, there were Blue Jay fans in West New York before that, you know, going back to the 80s and 90s. But um, with the affiliation being here for a while and then now what's happened in the last two years, without a doubt, interest has picked up in, in the Blue Jays and the Bisons as well. And one of the uh, another uh, unique qualities of this past year we didn't have in 2020 was the Blue Jays were playing in Buffalo 
And then the Bisons were playing in Trenton or playing another AAA East Northeast division opponent at the same time. So you and I were both kind of uh, keeping tabs on two games a, a lot of nights as well. So add that into the mix of, of how unique 2021 was. It really was. I mean, I'd be watching the Blue Jays game on my iPad and have the Bison game kind of keeping it in the corner of my eye. And that was definitely, you know, an odd situation that hopefully we're never going to experience again because it'll never happen again. But yeah, really. Uh, and, and a lot of people don't think about that, that the, the Bison team went through kind of the uncertainty that the Blue Jays did too. You know, the Blue Jays, I know, had to, had to change locations twice going from Dunedin to Buffalo and then Toronto. But the, the Bison players and, and Casey Kandel, they were in kind of limbo that whole time too. I know they enjoyed being in, in Trenton and were treated very well there, but they had the uncertainty of if and when they were ever going to come back to Buffalo. And, and finally they were able to. You're right. And I think Casey was the, the right manager at the right time. And I'll take it even a step further. You know, we've talked to him and I know you have as well, Casey and the players about the uncertainty of when they were breaking the alternate site um, after the season was delayed a month, would they be in, where were they going to be? We, they knew it wouldn't be Buffalo, but you know, where would it be? And it wasn't until maybe weeks uh, or a week before uh, the season was set to start. Did they know they were going to Trenton and then what, you know, unique and um, difficult situation they were kind of maybe stepping into because it was happening so quickly. Yeah. And I think Casey was just kind of the perfect guy to be in, in charge of all that as the manager of the team, you know, cause I know Buffalo fans know him well and his sense of humor and, you know, stays loose and have fun, but also wants his players to play hard on the field and go out and win. And he, he kind of had like the perfect personality to kind of, guide through that uncertainty. Yeah, and it struck me as thinking about the other day, Casey as a player uh, helped the Bisons win a championship. And then he comes back as the manager this past year and helps the team win the first ever Northeast division championship as well. So uh, there have been managers in the past, Bobby Meacham recently who played uh, and managed the Bisons, Joel Skinner. But I, I don't know if there's been another manager that's one as a player and a manager as a member of the Bisons. Yeah, and the, their first division championship in 16 years too. So, I mean, it, it was significant. And I asked him right after they clinched, I said, you know, you played on some of those great Bison teams in the mid to late nineties. Like, do you see any similarities between this team and the teams that you were on? And he mentioned uh, two things right away. One was the confidence that the players had uh, reminded him of those 90s teams and then also the leadership um, and back then in the in, on those 90s teams that you you think of Casey Candel as being one of the leaders of those teams along with like the Jeff Mantos and Tori Lavallos and um, you know they had that veteran leadership on this year's team with guys like Christian Cologne who starred in a World Series and won you know had the decisive hit in the 2015 World Series and guys like Tyler White. So you had that veteran leadership that those 90, 90s teams had. You mentioned those two players and it, we, we talk a lot about Christian Cologne, but uh, what kind of got lost in the shuffle and I'll, I'll admit this myself, we didn't bring it up uh, maybe as much as we should have on the broadcast, but Tyler White is a World Series champion and um, he may not have maybe had as big a role as Christian Cologne uh, played with the Royals, but for Tyler White to win a World Series with 
The Astros have some significant big league time, and there were quite a few players uh, on that Bison's team that helped lead by example. Yeah, and Tyler White kind of had like a, a underrated season last year. I mean, he hit and he just raked and got hot and was consistent. Um, and then you had guys like um, Gregory Polanco too, uh, joining them late in the season and being as hot as you could possibly imagine going through like the final stretch playoff game. So they definitely had a great mix of, of the youth and talent coming up along with those veteran guys. And that's what will make things interesting. I think for the next couple of seasons, as we saw several players make their triple a debuts, others even go to the big leagues last year, but you know, somebody like Logan Warmoth, who is uh, originally drafted as an infielder uh, by necessity, now playing outfield for a majority of his time. Um, you know, how, how do those players grow now into their second season as we look towards 2022 and some of those uh, things that were established this past year and building on that going forward? Yeah, there's a lot of guys really that kind of had uh, breakthrough type years. Zach Logue had, had a tremendous year and it'll be interesting to see how he develops. And that could be in Buffalo next year. It could be in Toronto. You know, I mean, he certainly has a chance to, to break camp if he has a good spring with the Blue Jays. But um, a guy like Josh Palacios, too, he, he showed so much promise last year but then got injured. So it'll be interesting to see what he can do next year. And again, he has a shot at being in the big leagues as well, but um, how these guys carry on Kevin Smith in the year that he had. Um, so yeah, there's definitely, it's definitely going to be an exciting season next year. Another similarity. And I've talked to our head of clubhouse operations, Scott Lesher about the similarities between maybe the early two thousands Bisons and the Bisons of today. One thing that the Cleveland franchise did well under Mark Shapiro uh, at the time was identifying players in trades. And I think Bowden Francis is a great example of that current day for the Blue Jays, where Rowdy Telez didn't really have a home at first base in Toronto, was uh, you know in, with the Bisons in Trenton a little bit. And then his, it was a trade that helped both sides, where Telez goes on and plays well for Milwaukee, and the Blue Jays get a player back, uh, one of the pieces – Bowden Francis, who could be a part of uh, whether it's a long man role or the rotation for Toronto, because he pitched so well for the Bisons last year. He absolutely could. And he was, you know, a key to really the Bisons rotation down the stretch. They are kind of solidifying it with a number of other guys. And, and Telez did fantastic in Milwaukee and really had some great moments. So, yeah. And Francis is absolutely a guy who could be in Toronto next year, or he could be back in the Bisons rotation, but definitely a lot of potential there and he showed it when he was here you talk about the rotation and one of the signings i uh, immediately uh my ears perked up when casey lawrence was brought back for another year and that veteran presence and a guy who you know went down to new hampshire last year uh when he wanted to be the blue jays wanted to stretch him out into a full-time starter again he had mixed success joining the bisons early on but you talk about somebody who helped solidify the rotation down the stretch and uh, Bowden Francis and Casey Lawrence, especially uh, with every, steady Eddie every five days. Yeah, Casey Lawrence, really something clicked for him there, probably about June or July, and he was tremendous the rest of the season. So it, it was great to see him be resigned, and I look forward to seeing him pitch some more. Um, you know, he was here a few years ago and pitched well, and then last season really, really helped him down the stretch. So, yeah, that was a big pickup. 
And before we move off the topic, I, I did want to touch on Christian Colon a little bit more as uh, he made some news in the, in the past week or so. And uh, somebody who said led by example on the field, and now he's going to transition into a coaching role with uh, Kansas City. I know an area where he's made his home now in Northwest Arkansas. So staying in the, in the rich family, so to speak, uh, with the naturals and, uh, you know, a natural progression for somebody like Colon. And he just seen. He, he, he was kind of like a coach on the field last year. That's how it looked to me. I mean, he had a great year, but just kind of that veteran presence. And I know I, I talked with him about like his the success in the World Series he had with the Royals. And he was talking about how other, he would talk to other players about that and players looked up to him and just such a classy individual and class act. And it just seems like coaching and, and maybe someday even being a manager is just a natural progression for him because he's he's that kind of player that you look at and you're like you know this guy has has a future ahead of him in a coaching role absolutely and I think his teammates I know you spoke to several of them as well they they saw him as a little bit of a coach as, as you kind of mentioned a moment ago and you know that that role that he relished in the players it's one thing if you want to try and help your teammates but your teammates have to want the help and it seemed like the younger guys did want uh, to, to learn from a guy like Cologne or Tyler White last year. Yeah, absolutely. And I even remember when uh, Casey Kendall talked about this when uh, I think it was late August, uh, the Bisons were lost five in a row to Worcester at home. Then they beat Worcester on the last day of the series. And then they went to Scranton and won seven straight from, at Scranton to, to put the Bisons into first place. And I know Cologne had a meeting with the team before that first game in Scranton and, and talked to the guys like, hey, you know, we're here. Let's win this thing. Let's turn this around now. And they did. So absolutely. And, and if you remember, he uh, signed kind of late in the spring with the Blue Jays organization. And um, Casey Kendall talked about like he was kind of like that last piece of the puzzle. He kind of just like solidified everything with his personality and, and, and with his play. Um, he, he really kind of just brought the whole team together. And I feel like he's one of those players that he did play a little bit in 2020 with Cincinnati, but, uh, it seemed like a lot of guys did not take 2021 for granted because so many did not play the year before. And would that be, uh, would 2021 be somebody's last season and for Cologne, it was, and it strikes me as he's a guy that didn't take last year for granted. And you saw that whether it was in that speech to the team prior to those, that series in Scranton or other points along the way. Yeah. I, and even some of the younger guys, I think the, the 2020 with being at the alt site, um, they got a lot of benefit from it. I know a lot of the hitters that I talked to talked about it was beneficial because they would face a pitcher and, you know, he was a pitcher in the blue Jays organization. Then they talked to him afterwards about like, well, why'd you throw me that pitch? Well, you know, how are you trying to get me out? And they'd have that back and forth that they might not norm normally get during a, a season, but some guys, and, and they found benefit from that, but some guys, like I was talking with Brian Baker and he was talking about how, uh, you know, it's hard for him to get pumped up just to pitch like live batting practice all the time. He's such an intense guy. Um, so, you know, it, that experience was good, but it wasn't like playing in games every day. So I, I think a lot of guys really appreciated last season. And it certainly culminated in a division championship. The, you know, the one disappointment was there were no playoffs last year. Hopefully here in 2022, that's different. One thing that we know will be different is 
games outside of the division. Uh, for the Bisons, they'll make two road trips outside of the Northeast Division, and they'll welcome in five teams from outside as well. So uh, six-game series again, but I think it'll be fun to see teams like Iowa, which the Bisons have a great history with, or even just going to a place uh, like Columbus or seeing Gwinnett come to town again. Yeah, that will be great. I, I kind of like that um, six games on and a day off. Once you got used to that, it kind of gave a nice flow to the season. But you are seeing the same teams all the time in your own division because of the pandemic. So it will be nice to get some of those other teams in there this year. And, and, and last year, too, the final stretch, I just want to say, like, when that first came up, I was like, oh, man, because, you know, the Bisons finally won the division. You wanted to have playoffs against Durham. You wanted to face them in a series, you know. But then the final stretch, just, and especially the games of Buffalo, were just out of sight. Like, the, the Bisons dropped the first game, and then they had a number of, like, walk-off wins after that. Uh, Gregory Polanco, the home run to win it, he had another walk-off hit. The last game in Buffalo, Christian Cologne had a walk-off. I, I think it was a, a ground rule double. Mm -hmm. And so it, it was like you couldn't even imagine that it would be that fun and that exciting. And the Bisons ended up going eight and one in the final stretch. And it really was an exciting atmosphere, even though it was kind of let down not to get the playoffs. The final stretch lived up to its filling. And one of the moments that I'll never forget from that final stretch was when two players tagged up and scored on the fly ball to center field uh, and something I had never seen before and wasn't expecting, but, you know, a coach like Devon White, who actually had experienced it before, uh, used speed to the Bison's advantage, and uh, that was a hallmark of Buffalo last year. Yeah, that was the same game that Polanco hit the uh, the walk-off home run, too, with Forrest Wall tagging a second and scoring a fly ball. And, yeah, it was, it was amazing. It was uh, the whole season with, like, Forrest Wall and Otto Lopez hitting one, too. He had so many moments like that. One time, Wall scored from first – first base on a ground ball into right field he right. came around and scored there was no like bobble or anything he just is that you know so it really was an exciting team all year long and hopefully the 2022 version will be just as fun as uh just about a couple of months away from spring training really getting going and the bison's uh roster taking shape it'll be fun to see you know once the the players get down to Dunedin minor league camp gets going uh, what what the roster will look like and what the coaching staff will look like uh, this coming year and, and see if many of the familiar faces from last year are back and, and trying to replicate uh, the results of last year. Yeah, and I know there's a lot of a buzz around like Gabriel Moreno coming up and we got to see him for a couple of games during the final stretch, but then he went out and uh, kind of proved himself in the Arizona Fall League as well. So, um, you know, and, and he's a guy that, you know, could absolutely be up in Toronto as well, but you you would think uh, the consensus kind of seems to be that he might need a little bit more time in the minors before he goes up because he's only caught like, I think like 180 or only played in like 180 or so minor league games. So um, if he's here again next year, that definitely gives fans something to look forward to as well. You're right. And a player that we maybe expected to see a little bit more of last year, but Injuries were one of the main reasons why he did not join Buffalo until uh, September last year. And uh, hopefully one of the main anchors behind the plate. Uh, as we look forward to, you know, what, what's ahead for the Bisons and, and we talk about you know, playing outside the division a little bit more next year. Uh, what does the other teams in the division look like to me? That's, that's another interesting part of it is, you know, with new manager in Lehigh Valley and a new manager in Worcester next this coming season, you know, how, how, 
all those things kind of look a little bit different where they've looked the same so much over the last decade. Right. And it'll be interesting to see how things shake out. You know, it was a, it was a really a, a great division last year. Um, the Bisons kind of bat, battled Scranton and went back and forth right down to the wire. And uh, Wooster started off really slow and then came on strong. And so, it, you know, it was a great, great race last year and, and hopefully it'll be the same next year. And to see how it all shakes out with, you know, what, what players land where, where will be very interesting. And Brian, as we, we take a look at uh, you know, what, what's to come for the Herd Chronicles, I, I want to ask you about your most recent entry that we have over at Bisons.com. And we've talked about it many times. There's always a Buffalo connection. And the latest one is Walter Johnson, uh, one of the greatest pitchers in the history of baseball. And the only time that he pitched in the minor leagues was against Buffalo. And just how, how unique of an experience that was. Yeah, um, he broke into the major leagues as like a 19-year-old, never pitching the minors, which was, you know, more common probably back then than it is now. And so he never pitched in the minor leagues during his great long major league career, ended up winning the second most games in major league history, second only to Cy Young. He had 417 wins, um, you know, just an iconic figure, the big train, Walter Johnson. And right after he retired from pitching, with Washington Senators, uh, he took a job managing Newark, the Newark Bears who were in the International League at the time. And uh, he actually got a really bad case of the flu in the spring, like really bad. He lost weight, was in really bad health. So they had to use an interim manager to start the season. But then eventually he came back and uh, they ended up having a Walter Johnson day in Newark in June and they happened to be playing the Bisons. And they made a huge deal out of it. They had a big like 200 car parade before the game and lots of baseball dignitaries there presented him with a, a, a movie camera, motion picture camera, which I'm sure was a pretty big deal back in 1928 and a rocking chair. And um, the big, I had a big banquet for him after the game, but kind of the big draw of the day was that Walter Johnson took the mound for Newark and he ended up, Coming out, he walked the Bison's leadoff man on five pitches, Maurice Archdeacon. And then he walked off the mound and pulled himself from the game. And that ended up being his own only minor league pitching appearance. He did uh, pinch hit a few times that season, but never pitched again. So his only minor league pitching appearance was against the Buffalo Bison's. Yeah, such stories like that are, are what, what uh, you know, I love reading on the Herd Chronicles and, and stuff that you're able to, to, to look up and find and all, all the old, uh, you know, news articles, things that, that, that you've been able to, to extrapolate information from. Uh, it has to be just so uh, entertaining reading some of those, those old stories as you're, as you're writing a story like this. It is when you go back and you, and you find a little nugget like that, it's amazing when it's Walter Johnson, but just you're always learning, you know, you're going back and you're looking at, at, at different seasons that maybe you didn't know a lot about 1906 season or 1904 season or something. And you find these little nuggets or these little great games that have kind of been forgotten about. It, it's kind of funny because a lot of times newspapers back then, they, they'd use kind of a lot more flowery language than they use now to describe things. And they would say something like, baseball will never forget this game or something and it's like a game you never heard of you know so you're like well it's time to bring this game back to life again and and put it out there so 
And, you know, it, it strikes me moments like that with Walter Johnson or even the, the, the uh, combination of Johnny Bench hitting the only grand slam off of Jim Palmer in his professional career. And it came in Buffalo against, against the Bisons and, you know, all those unique little uh, moments that happened against the Buffalo franchises. Yeah. That game was actually in Niagara Falls. That was when they were playing at right. Hyde Park. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the, uh, amazing. Uh, you know, that, that bench, the greatest catcher of all time, you know, cause I, I don't remember that I was born after that, but that he played right here in Buffalo and, and faced Jim Palmer, who are, who are two guys I remember playing, but I wasn't around when they were here here playing. And so, yeah, absolutely amazing to look back on, on those events and those experiences. Well, Brian, I appreciate you joining us again today. I always love chatting with you. Look forward to seeing you at the ballpark this coming year. And uh, for folks that, that want to keep up on the latest uh, in the history of the Bisons, what's the best way to follow along with the Herd Chronicles? Yep, you can go to the website, which is herdchronicles.com. That's where all the articles and stories are. And then if you're on Twitter and you want to go on the Twitter feed, it's at Herd Chronicles. And I post on there regularly, daily. So uh, join the fun. <laughs> yeah, see who, who's the latest former Bison to have a birthday or those great moments in Bison history. Um, you'll not be disappointed. Uh, so, Brian, again, congratulations being named uh, the fan of the year, a well-deserved honor, and uh, look forward to catching up again down the road. Thank you, Pat. I really appreciate it. I'll see you at the ballpark. Thanks once again to Brian for joining us this week on the Power Alley. Always love to chat with him. And again, congratulations on a well-deserved honor for the Bisons reigning fan of the year. Don't forget, you can follow Brian at Herd Chronicles. He has a great wealth of Buffalo baseball history and knowledge. And we like to bring much of that to you right here on the Power Alley and also at Bisons.com. Speaking of Bisons.com, that's where you can catch up on the latest news and notes and the latest on promotional offerings this coming season. The planning for Star Wars night continues, and it'll be a fun night at the ballpark this year. You can check out what the Bisons will wear on Star Wars night this season and stay up to date on the very latest as we unveil more on the promotional schedule for 2022. Until next time, here in the Power Alley, I'm Pat Malacaro. Thanks for joining us.